Amen. Well, good to have you here this evening. I pray that the Lord blessed you with a, a great afternoon. And I'm excited to be here. I'm glad that you're here tonight. And I pray that, again, the Lord is speaking to your heart. If you have your Bible, look at me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, and look at chapter number 2. The book of Ephesians, chapter number 2. We want to continue our study looking through the book of Ephesians. Say praise the Lord for a uh, great service this morning. We had a, a good number here, but more so than that, there was a great spirit here this morning, and uh, I thank the Lord for the service that we had. I want to uh, remind you tonight, um, we have a lot of stuff coming up, a lot of things in the pipe uh, coming down over the next several months, and I would encourage you to be praying for our church as we go forward. Uh, that we can reach our community with the gospel of Christ. And uh, we have, of course, our uh, fellowship next Sunday for uh, Labor Day. Then we have Trunk or Treat coming up. We have Fall Revival coming up as well. And then for those who are here tonight, you're getting an early announcement on it. Uh, but coming up in February, uh, right uh, the week of Valentine's Day, on a Friday night, we have... Uh, Jeff and Deb coming here. They're going to be having a special couples night, and uh, we want to invite every couple to come to this, and we want to make a big push. We want to fill the church up that night with, with Jeff and Deb. They are absolutely tremendous. My wife and I first heard them uh, last year, I guess, this past February, March, down in Jekyll Island, Georgia, at a pastor's wife's uh, retreat, and uh, they did about as much for our marriage as far as just giving us great information to help our marriage. They did as much to strengthen our marriage in two days as about anything we've ever heard. And so we wanted to bring them in for Valentine's and really try to encourage our uh, families, those who are married, and just be a blessing to you. That isn't for any age group. That is for newlyweds. Uh, maybe those engaged all the way up to those if you've been married 50, 60 years or more. I promise you, you don't want to miss this. You are going to get a blessing, and that's coming up in February. So we have a lot of stuff going on, and I want to ask you, if you would continue to pray that God would uh, use this um, for our, uh, our church and our homes. I believe if anything Satan's trying to attack, he's trying to attack marriages, and he's doing so... Uh, uh, very successfully, unfortunately, and so we need to strengthen our homes as much as possible, and so I would encourage you to uh, be praying for that. Well, if you have your Bibles tonight, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and we want to begin reading down in verse number 1, and uh, we'll read the first 10 verses. The Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together 
with Christ, by grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. And not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Verses number 8 and 9 are probably the most familiar passages of Scripture in this chapter, where it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is a great passage of Scripture reminding us that we are saved not by works. We cannot earn our salvation. Unfortunately, there is a common uh, uh, belief among uh, those who claim to be Christians or churchgoers is that, uh, and even those who are not saved, um, they believe that, that God has a giant scales in heaven and that when you get to heaven, God's going to place your good deeds in one and your bad deeds in the other. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you'll be all right. Unfortunately, the Bible says that it is not of works. We are saved by the grace of God. As a matter of fact, we try to think and we try to weigh our good deeds and our bad deeds based upon other people. But when we compare ourselves to a righteous God, the Bible says that even our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so if we're, wait, if we're uh, depending upon our works to get us to heaven, the Bible says that the very best we have to offer is as filthy rags before God. I dare say we're in trouble. And so the Bible says, but for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. We thank the Lord that we have this assurance that our salvation is not based upon ourselves or what we can do, but rather it is upon the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although this is really what Ephesians is most noted for, especially Ephesians chapter number 2, I want to look maybe at a different avenue from this passage, uh, the, these verses that we read tonight. And I want to preach for just a few moments on this thought, better together. Better together. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past he walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. It says, among whom also we had all our conversations in times past. And so we find that uh, they were all together. We had, in, before we were saved, uh, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. I want to say we are better together. And as we look through Ephesians chapter 2, it really is a theme here dealing with unity in Christ or unity in the church. As a church, we truly are better together. I said earlier that we are in much prayer. and we, Our marriages need prayer and our homes are being attacked uh, 
spiritually, we are in a warfare. But not only is the spiritual warfare happening at home within the families, within husbands and wives, between parents and children, and there is a spiritual warfare going on within the home, there is also a spiritual warfare that is transpiring within the church. And uh, if you don't believe me, it, it don't take long. If you'll look around and really pay attention, it won't take you long to understand there is spiritual warfare, there is disagreements that, and bitterness that can build up in the hearts of people and so we can come to a place where there is division within the church and so I believe that looking at scripture tonight we will see that truly we are better together when we have one mind one heart and we are serving God with one goal in mind Brother Jim, you and I were talking just a minute ago right before church, and there are some things that we will not, and I will, I will not compromise on. I will not compromise on the sufficiency of the Word of God. I will not compromise on salvation by faith and not of works. There are some things that we cannot compromise on that we must hold fast to. However, there are also some things that we must learn that Although we may not agree, we can agree to disagree and go on and love one another. Uh, churches have issues because churches are full of people, and people have issues. And I can say that because I can look in the mirror and I can and see one of them. Um, you say, Pastor, are you always going to agree with me? No, I don't even always agree with me. And if I don't agree with me all the time, I'm sure not going to agree with you all the time and likewise. And so we might have differing of opinion. But we can serve together. We can follow together following Christ. The Bible says that in verse number 2, it says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. The truth is we are better together when we follow Christ um, versus following the flesh of the world. It is when we come to a place where we make a decision, will we follow Christ or will we follow ourselves and the path that this world has? In Ephesians chapter 2, that we find that before they were saved, before they were quickened, they were dead in sins. And the Bible says they walked according to the course of this world. And so there was a following of their own self. I believe that as a church and as a pastor, uh, it is key, it is important that um, we set an example of what Christ would have us to be. In church, often we, uh, we look at church leadership, whether it be the pastor or the pastoral staff, uh, elders, deacons, uh, directors, ministry directors. We look at leadership within the church. And the truth is there are a lot of people who are caught up on this thing that they want to have a title. They want to have a position of authority and say, uh, look at me. But if we look at the Bible and the scripture, we'll find that true leadership leads not by looking towards other people to lead them, but rather by being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If I'm concerned about trying to lead you, you know what that tells me? That tells me my eyes are looking in the wrong direction. Rather, my eyes should be towards Jesus Christ, and I follow him. And as I follow him, and, and, and you follow, we all together, we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find here in Ephesians chapter 2 that they were following themselves, they were following the world, and the prince of the power of the air, and children of disobedience. We find here they were desires of the body, the Bible says that they followed among three, among whom also we all had our conversations and time passed in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. There was a desires, they were following the desires of the body. And so when they followed their own body, their fleshly desires, it led to death and destruction. And so we must decide, are we going to follow our body are we going to follow our mind? Uh, the Bible says they not only followed the flesh, but also and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. I've shared it before, and I'll share it again. There is a term that we hear all the time in society. People will say, just follow your heart. Ain't that what you hear all the time? Just follow your heart. There's a problem with that, though. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We should not follow our heart. That's horrible advice. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus Christ. He never leads us astray. And so we are followers of Christ is what we are called to be. As we continue to read through Ephesians chapter 2, we will see what the difference is when Christ intervenes in our life. And so as we are together, we are determined that we should be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, as a pastor, as my role, it is my role to uh, influence the church as we follow Christ. But Christ is the leader. He is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. Neither are the deacons. The deacons are not the head of the church. Neither are any other person. Jesus Christ is. He is the head of the church. And so as a pastor, it is my goal, my duty, my calling to follow Jesus Christ. And so this is not a pyramid with the pastor at the top. Rather, it's more like a triangle where Jesus Christ is at the top and everybody else is at the bottom. We're all looking up towards Jesus Christ. He is the head and the ruler of all things. Now we serve together, and so we, we impact one another, we serve together, but Jesus Christ is the ruler of all things. And as Christians, we must come to a place where we say, listen, I was dead, but I have been quickened by the Lord Jesus Christ, and so now Jesus Christ is the head of all things. Second of all, verse number four, not only are we uh, to be followers of Christ, but also, we see that we are alive together with Christ. Verse number four says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. We have been quickened. We have been renewed, we've been brought to life together 
with Christ. And so we see that Jesus Christ is the unifying thing that unifies all of us. The truth of the matter is we have a smaller crowd, much smaller tonight than we did this morning. But even take the few that are here tonight, and if we look around, we can find that we represent many different walks of life. Some of us came from uh, maybe a wealthier upbringing. Some came from a poor upbringing. Some grew from the south. Some of you maybe been from the north. Some of you like sweet tea, and maybe there might be one or two that doesn't. I don't know, I want to put too many words in your mouth, but you never know. But we all represent different walks of life, different political ideologies, different um, preferences, different styles, many different perspectives on life. And we look at things from a completely different viewpoint sometimes. And so now we come together, and how are we to be together? How can us that are different work in perfect harmony? And truly, as a pastor, that is uh, my heart and my desire for the church, is that we continue, as we have done, to work in unison, and that that unity is strengthened among the church, that we all become one heart, one mind, working together in unison for one goal, and that goal is the Lord Jesus Christ. But how are we to do that? We find the Bible says that uh, we do so, we have been quickened, he has quickened us together with Christ. We are alive together, we are to be one in Jesus Christ. When dealing with marriage counseling, I often use this analogy, but I want to use it tonight instead of for a husband and wife, I want to use this analogy for the church. And I believe with all my heart that if we can get a hold of this concept, it can transform the way we function as a church. You say, Pastor, how can we uh, be in unity when we have differing opinions? Uh, some people want things done one way. Some people want things done another. Brother Ron, some people want one style of music. Some people want another. And no matter what you do, there's always differing of opinions. And so you say, how do we, who are miles apart, how do we come together in unity and, and together with the Lord Jesus Christ? I use this analogy, and this is what I want to do. When I'm dealing with marriage counseling and Often when you have a couple, they get married. No one that I know of ever start, started off in marriage with the intention that they wanted nothing to do with their spouse. Typically, when you get married, you get married with the intention that you want a partner for life. Isn't that the goal when you start out? And so you start off, oh, we're going we're gonna to have the greatest marriage, the greatest relationship. And so it is when the church, I would imagine when you joined North Etowah Baptist Church, you did so with the mentality in the heart that, listen, we're going to work together and we're going to make a difference in Etowah for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. But what happens is, is as life goes, almost it's like you're two people on two different boats, but you're traveling down the river together of life. 
And as a church, we come together and we're all going down the river headed towards the same destination. But we find that there's little ripples and currents that begin to slowly drift us apart. And at first, it's no big deal. At first, there might have been a little separation, but we're still right here together. We can reach out and touch one another. There's still uh, communion. There's still fellowship. There's still communication. Everything's okay. But then another ripple happens, and you drift a little further apart. But it's, you know, there might be a little separation, but we think in marriage, just like we do the church, it's okay. We're still going the same direction. There's no big deal. We've got the same desires. We're headed the same direction. It'll be all right. With marriage, kids come in the picture. Kids, you well know, they begin to take your time. And all of a sudden, you're not looking towards your partner anymore, but you're looking at the kids and trying to keep your family functioning. And in the church, we have our ministries, our calling, what God has given us responsibilities to, and they're our children, our, our ministry, they're our children. And so we begin to take care of them and focus, and we go our direction, and those in Christ in our church, they go their direction. And before we know it, without even realizing it, we've, we've turned down different avenues, and now there is a mile between us we cannot see the other person. You may not be able to see your spouse. You may not be able to yell and communicate to them. We're out of sight now. We're lost. And sometimes I believe that happens in churches. We all have the same goal. We all have the same desire. We all want to reach our community. We all want to reach Christ. Uh, uh, and we all want to use, uh, be servants of Christ for his honor and his glory. But We've taken different turns and avenues to get there. Well, that's not healthy. How can a marriage be unity if you're miles apart? That's no good. And the same can be said of the church. We've had couples come in that we've tried to counsel and work with, and life has so driven them apart, that although they both say they want to be together, the truth is they just don't know how anymore. Preacher, he just doesn't hear me. Preacher, she just doesn't hear me. She don't understand. They're screaming, they're yelling, but distance has separated them from one another. I wonder, in many cases, if this isn't the exact same thing that happens within the church. Life has forced us apart. We all have the same desires. We just don't know how to communicate anymore. So, preacher, what are we supposed to do? And I believe for a church, it is the same answer that it is for a marriage. And maybe you're here and you're married and, and you need to hear this this evening. It's the same concept. If you have this couple who have taken different roads and there are, they've, they've traveled down different rivers of life and they started off together but they can't communicate anymore, there is only one hope for a marriage in that situation. Only one that I know of. 
When you cannot see each other, when you cannot communicate, preacher, I just don't love him anymore. Preacher, I just don't love her anymore. And the truth of the matter is there are some Christians who have gotten that way, I believe, in churches all across America. And I hope that's not the case with anyone here tonight or at our church. But there are some who just like, you know what, I love the Lord, but man, I don't know about the church. When you can't see each other, here's what you can do. Get your eyes off of your circumstance and get your eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ. And I might not be able to see you, and you may not be able to see me from where we're at in life. You may not be able to hear me as I'm trying to communicate to you, and you may not be able to hear me and vice versa. But when we see the cross, I can start heading towards Calvary. And that's why we say marriage takes three, because it really takes Jesus Christ to be the anchor in our homes when the world and Satan is trying to pull us apart. And the same thing for the church. Jesus Christ must be our anchor. And the closer we get to Christ, the closer we get to one another. And the closer we get to him, sooner or later we'll find ourselves saying, you know what, I can hear you a little bit now, we're getting close. We're starting to get on the same heartbeat, we're starting to get on the same path together, we're joined together and once again, not because of us, but because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we have been joined together with Christ. Jesus Christ is the glue that will hold us together. And the closer we come to Jesus Christ, our heart and our unity and our, and our vision and our work will all be joined in unity because of Jesus Christ. We are better together, but it takes Jesus Christ in the middle of it all. As a church, everything we do, every lesson that we teach, every function that we have, whether it be fall festival or Labor Day cookout, whatever we do, it must be that it is surrounded and, and built around the Lord Jesus Christ. And as long as he is the center, we're going to stay together. We are to be one in Christ. We're to be one together. We're to be one in him because he is the center of all things. But when we become one with Christ, we become a body together. We're alive in Jesus Christ. The Bible says he has quickened us together. By grace we are saved Thirdly, I'll say that we have been saved for a life of purpose. We have been saved for a life of purpose. Look at me in verse 6 and 7. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Watch this, verse number 7. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace... In his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. 
says that he wants to show us the exceeding riches of his grace. Say, preacher, we've been saved for a purpose. What is that purpose? First off, that purpose is that we are, uh, that he might show us his grace. Did you catch that? It says that he has raised us up together to sit together, together with one another in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. The Bible says Jesus has quickened us, he has, he has redeemed us unto himself, that he might show us the riches of his grace. Christ didn't just extend grace to me when I got saved. And I want you to know that the grace extended to me at salvation, it still amazes me. It is beyond anything my heart or my mind can comprehend. But the Bible says that in the ages to come, he wants to show me the riches of his grace. As little as I know now, I can't comprehend it. And the Bible says, I've saved you because throughout eternity, through the ages to come, I want you to reveal to myself to you the riches of my grace can you imagine that the best I know the sweetest thing I've ever seen or dreamed of is the grace of God and yet the Bible says you don't know the half of it yet I've got riches of grace I want to show you and display to you Christ redeemed us together to show us the riches of his grace together. I do believe that the greatest sinner I know, I feel like Paul is me. In God's grace, when I see it extended upon my life, it amazes me. And yet when I see the grace of God given to others, it amazes me yet again and again. And as we work together, as we're one together, we begin to see the riches of his grace. But watch this. It says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Watch this. In... His kindness. He wants to show us his grace, but he also wants to show us his kindness. Colossians chapter 1, verse number 10 says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We are made to do good works. Look at me in verse number 8, 9, and 10, and I'll be done with Ephesians 2. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, 
which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We're better together because we are made to do good works. Colossians said we'd be fruitful in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. There are two works that, according to Colossians, we are called to do. First is we are called to bear fruit. To bear fruit. As a Christian, it is my call and my duty. God has called me to bear fruit spiritually. That means it is my calling, my commission. You know the Great Commission uh, is for the church, but it's for every believer. You can take that personal. You can insert your name in there. Go ye, go Randy into all the world. We are called to fulfill the Great Commission and to bear fruit. And I want to ask if you're here this evening or maybe you're on listen to the radio or online, I want to ask you this question. Are you bearing fruit in your life or have you borne fruit in your life? When's the last time you led someone to Jesus Christ? Have you ever? We are called to bear fruit together, being fruitful in every good work. We are called to bear fruit that uh, we should preach this, that the grace of God that saves, and that we should, uh, we should preach the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must also recognize that the Great Commission, go ye into all the world, it requires us to work together. You see, I may not ever be able to go to South Africa, some Asian country or some African nation, some European nation. There's a lot of places I'll never, I've been to a lot of places, but there's a lot of places I'll never be able to go. And yet I am not relieved of the duty and calling of the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world. So how do we do that? We do it together. That's why we support and give money to the cooperative program to send missionaries around the world so they can go in our place and take the good news. By our giving, we can be a part of carrying and fulfilling the, good, uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we are called to do good works, to bear fruit, and we can only do that faithfully if we do it together. People say, preacher, I can worship from home just as, I, as good as I can the church. You may be able to worship. You can't give. You can't go into all the world. There's a lot you can't do from home. There's a lot of it that just takes the church. We're, we're stronger together. Bear fruit. But then also it says, in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. We are to increase in the knowledge of God. 
And so it is our duty as Christians that we should learn, we should grow, we should study, and we should grow in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And although we can do that on our own, it's easier together. This morning I sat in with uh, Jonathan and his Sunday school class as he taught. Done a fantastic job. Thank the Lord for him. Great lesson. There's things that he taught that the average person probably would have a hard time studying on their own unless somebody was teaching that. Brother Jim, your discipleship group, you were talking to me about uh, what you were teaching tonight and going over and praise the Lord. That's doctrine that the average Christian, unless somebody's teaching it to them, they're probably not going to just come up with on their own. But together, we strengthen one another. We grow, we, grow, we learn and so we are made to do good works. And I just wanted to preach tonight on this thought of better together. As a church, let's do everything in unity together. Why? Because it's going to take us working together. You say, preacher, my way is the right way. It's the only way. And, and, and everybody may do it my way. But I want to tell you this much. If you're the only one doing it, you're not going to accomplish a whole lot. We got to work together. But when we're together, as God called us to be, God's going to bless. When we're living and doing what he wants us to do, we have his power, his hand upon our life. As we look down next week, beginning in verse number 11, we'll start beginning that there is unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. We find that God's hand was upon them all. God said, listen, I'm not worried about your background, where you're from. I'm more worried about where you're going. And uh, we want to uh, continue our study through Ephesians next week. But I pray tonight that we will all leave here tonight with this in our heart. Lord, I just want to say thank you. I love you. I love the church. And Lord, we're going to go together. Whatever it takes, Lord, help me to draw close to you. Help those that maybe I disagree with. Lord, may you help them to just stay close to you. And together, we're going to work it out. We're going to find unity. And we're going to go together for the cause of Christ. Amen. I believe Jesus Christ will be pleased with that, don't you? And so thank the Lord for it. Let's have a good word of prayer tonight. And, and we're not even going to have a, an invitation. You say, preacher, really? I, I'm not. I pray that the Lord has spoke to your heart. And uh, if God spoke to your heart tonight, just pray. You do business with the Lord. And purpose in your heart. Say, Lord, with your help, I'm going to seek unity and peace for the cause of Christ. Because he matters. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to say thank you for, uh, Lord, the assurance that we have through your word. Lord, that you are the center and the creator of all things. Lord, I understand, Lord, that, Lord, we all have our own opinions. And Lord, many of them are honest and sincere and great, great thoughts. And yet, Lord, if we don't have unity for the cause of Christ, we've lost our effectiveness. Lord, I pray 
God, that you may make North Etowah be known among this community, this county. Lord, that we are a church that stands on truth. God, we are a church and a people of prayer. And God, that we are a church that is united together in Jesus Christ. Lord, may you draw us closer to one another as we draw closer to you. Lord, thank you for the promises that we have, Lord, that you have called us out together, Lord, with a purpose. And Lord, may we fulfill that purpose, fulfill the commission that you've given to the church, Lord, with joyous hearts. Lord, that we might praise and give you the honor and glory for the great things that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I know I'm closing it a little bit different tonight than even what we had planned. I hope you don't mind, uh, but I thought the Lord just led us that way. But I encourage you, and, and I'm not preaching because there's problems tonight. I, I'm just trying to head off anything before anything happens because I know how Satan likes to get in and likes to, boy, God's doing something right now at North Etowah. Can you sense it? I don't know if you can, but I can this morning. Boy, there was a great spirit in here, and I thank the Lord, people raising their hands, praising the Lord, worshiping. I, boy, it blessed my heart to see that, and, and I just don't want to see Satan getting here and cause any trouble. Amen? And so we just want to make sure our hearts are where they need to be. Well, thank y'all for being here tonight, and I encourage you to come back Wednesday. We look forward to seeing you then. You're dismissed. <laughs>